Uh, John 21 is a really, really great chapter. There's so much we could, uh, we could bring out of here, but um, I want to just emphasize in this context uh, the way that the Lord Jesus had relationships with people and the way he dealt with, with people. Start off uh, John 21 and verse 5. They've gone fishing. And don't forget, they have already met the Lord Jesus, the risen Lord, uh, twice. But it seems to me that the risen Lord had not somehow impacted them as Jesus wanted him to. And you could read it here that they've really gone, gone back fishing, uh, despite having, having met the risen Lord. And they seem to be uh, somewhat distant still from him. In fact, when... Uh, uh, Jesus says to them, <clears throat> "Come, come here, and break your fast." When you know he, Jesus has already got fish on the on the fire going, and he invites them, as it were, for breakfast to to break their fast. Um, <clears throat> they were fasting, really. I think for for the dead, they were fasting in in sorrow because of the loss of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm alive. Stop that. But they'd already met him since his resurrection. But like us, the reality of the risen Lord had not really come home to them. And so, unknown to them, apparently, he shouts out, verse 5, Children, the A.B. says, do you have any food? And they said, no. <coughs> this, <coughs> this Greek word that's translated children, paidos, it's really difficult to translate and uh, it's slang, really. It, it's uh, the dynamic equivalent of guys or, or fellas. Now, why would the risen Lord Jesus use slang, use real colloquial jargon in calling out to these disciples? And I think it's because he's at such length to try to prove to them that although I am the risen Lord, I am still, in that sense, human enough to understand you and to know the sort of terms that you use, guys, fellas, whatever. He doesn't want his exalted and highly exalted status to, as it were, come between him and us. And I think that's why he uses this, uh, this rather slangy kind of term, guys, in, in verse 5. And of course the whole incident of this, this fishing thing is designed purposefully by Jesus to repeat the earlier incident that's very similar um, that, that, that occurred back in, in Luke 5 where again they had fished all night but caught nothing again the Lord told them to cast their nets they obeyed, they caught many fish the effect on the nets is mentioned Peter is both times called Simon Peter both times the sons of Zebedee verse 2 um, the sons of Zebedee were there that's Luke 5 verse 10 again says the sons of Zebedee were there both times they called Jesus Lord got the same Greek words for climbing aboard, landing the nets um, the word for, for drawing the nets etc so Jesus was setting up circumstance to remind them of an earlier incident and I think he, he's doing that because he realises their problem yeah, he could have said, look here, I've risen from the dead. I've told you this so many times before I rose from the dead, and now I am, I appear twice to you, and you're still doubting me. You still don't seem to get it. Right, goodbye, that's enough. But he's so patient with them, and the patience of the Lord Jesus with his 
very slow to understand disciples after the resurrection is a beautiful theme and there we are also so far away really in our understanding in our devotion in our response to his resurrection and to who he is and all that that should mean to us and his patience and his foreseeing of their likely problems and issues I think is, is just wonderful and of course it's a pattern for how we ought to be reacting and let's say uh, interacting engaging with other people with, with this massive sensitivity that the Lord has well he knew of course that Peter had denied him and he knew that this was a big issue for Peter and he'd met Peter twice since the resurrection but he hadn't raised the obvious issue of Peter's denials and he knew that Peter was going to be asking himself the obvious question has he really forgiven me? And this is of course the question that every sensitive honest believer uh, deals with at times has he, has the Lord Jesus really forgiven me? and so Jesus sets this whole thing up to I think address that question and first of all he gives them a meal of grace yes he makes them pull their fish to the land etc but actually he's already got fish there for them and they, they eat together verse 13 Jesus comes, takes bread and gives them now those Greek words for bread, take and give very same words in Matthew 26 verse 26 about the last supper when the Lord took bread and gave it to the disciples and remember that to eat together, to break your bread together, to, especially to take your bread and give it to others, was a sign in the first century of your religious fellowship, your spiritual acceptance of those people to whom you broke your bread. That's why, of course, the Jews were so critical of the Lord for breaking bread, as it were, for eating with tax collectors and, sing and sinners. So then, first of all, the Lord fellowships with Peter and only after that having affirmed his abiding love for Peter does he go on to probe the issue of his disloyalty and I think we, we can take a, a comfort from that in our own breaking of bread and our own fellowship with the Lord that he fellowships us as it were to lead us to repentance not because we have got to a, a level that is good enough for him and then he sort of clicks in with us and uh, bread and uh, wine or whatever appears no, and this is of course also to be reflected in the way that we deal with others so then first of all the Lord affirms through the breaking of bread with Peter his abiding love for Peter but just as he does in our lives he tried to arrange circumstances to provoke Peter to himself engage with the issue of his denials because this triple questioning three times asking him do you love me it all takes place by a fire of coals and that's significant because they're on a beach and it's unlikely there would have been coal lying around on the beach maybe driftwood, bits of uh, branches and wood maybe but a fire of coals and I think that that was obviously to, that's a verse 9 um, that was obviously to, to remind Peter that by a fire of coals he had three times denied the Lord and so by the fire of coals 
The Lord three times asks him, do you love me? And three times tells him to go and feed the sheep. So you see there the very gentle, seeking spirit of the Lord Jesus. And when he asks him these three times, do you love me? This is not because Jesus didn't know and was trying to gather information. No, this was a question, as all the Lord's questions really were, uh, for the benefit of the person receiving them, for the benefit of Peter. And I think Jesus is trying to get Peter to go back to his teaching in Luke 7 verse 47 where he had said that whoever loves much has been forgiven much and that people love Jesus because of how much he has forgiven them and so he asks him three times do you love me and increasingly as the, you know, the three times go on Peter is thinking yes 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 I love you so much you, you really know I love you so much and of course Jesus is hoping he's going to make the connection and realise, well why do I love you so much? Because you have forgiven me so much. So it's all okay Peter. You have believed in my forgiveness, so you've got it. And that allusion back to the incident in, John, in Luke 7 I think is confirmed uh, when you look in, in verse 15. Simon, do you love me more than these? The only time that Greek phrase, to love more, occurs is also back there in Luke 7, in that same incident uh, with the woman in the city who's a sinner. Uh, in Luke 7, verse 42, where Jesus says, Which of them will love him most? It's the same word, more. Which of them will love him more? And the answer is, well, he who's been forgiven most will love Jesus more. So Jesus had already forgiven Peter. <coughs> And so <clears throat> the answer to Peter's unspoken concern, have you forgiven me, is yes, of course I have. If you believe it, and if you believe it, you will love me. And according to how much you love me, you will know how much forgiveness you have received. Now I just love that about Jesus. A very careful sensitivity to his people, foreseeing and feeling our doubts and fears, our questions ahead of time and responding to them. Now, let's just stop there. Sensitivity. You know, we're all very, uh, we notice very clearly when someone is not sensitive to us. But we should be sensitive, of course, to others after the pattern of Jesus. Foreseeing, <clears throat> as far as we can, that if I do this or say that, or write that in an in a email or a letter, how will they respond? What is the other person's big question? What question is going through their mind? How, given that, are they therefore going to accept or interpret what I'm doing, what I'm saying? Now, it seems to me that our community has failed in this because we have rather misunderstood the idea of having the truth. The idea is, if I know something that's true and right, no matter how hurtful it is for you or for anyone else, I will just tell you, because I have the truth, and I must teach the truth, and I must confront you, and I must tell you the truth. And this is a tragedy. It's really a tragedy, because of course that, that leads to all kinds of interpersonal breakups and, and difficulties. 
And you just see the, the sensitivity of Jesus here in dealing with Peter. He wasn't like that. He has all the truth, if you like, on the whole planet and the whole cosmos. But he doesn't come to Peter and just put it, put it sort of in his face. He thinks of the question that Peter is likely to have, the issue that is most important for Peter, that is, has he forgiven me? And even though for Jesus that was not an issue because he already had forgiven him. He was sensitive to that. Now, I do understand that in, in the speed of life, with uh, phone calls coming in unexpectedly and all sorts of things like that, you know, we can't think out our response to every single situation that, that we meet. I accept that, although we probably could do so more than we, more than we might think. But, you know, we, we should think before we write particularly letters and emails. Um, but the, the key in all this is to have the spirit of Christ, the mind or the disposition that was in him. And how do we get that? I can only say by reflecting upon him, like we are reflecting now in this chapter, John 21, to, to reflect upon him, to meditate upon him, to the point that he is with us. That we are not alone on this earth, but we think all the time of him with us. If you have a good friend or a partner who you're missing, and you're, let's say you're travelling, you may imagine how it is if they were there with you, and how you would tell them something, and how they would likely say this or say that in the situation that, that you're in. Now, if we are in relationship with the Lord Jesus... If he is really a friend, if we sense his presence, this will be the same for us. You remember those huge promises about the Comforter that he gives, where he says, look, I'm physically going away, you will not see me. But don't worry, the Comforter is such that it will be as if, it's as good as, I am with you, because of my spirit that I'm going to give you. That's a huge challenge because we don't feel 24-7 as if Jesus is sitting with us, walking with us, talking with us, etc. And yet, that is the promise of the Comforter. And insofar as we have the Spirit of Christ, the mind of Christ, we will, we can, come to that point, that he is with us. And we therefore know, as Paul says, we will learn how to answer every man that somehow his sensitivity, and this is slightly mysterious, I, I suppose, uh, his sensitivity, his disposition, the way that he would react, what would Jesus do? This becomes a total part of our personality, and the idea is that it, it takes us over to the point that we are him to this world. So back to, the, uh, back to verse 15. Well, Peter says three times, you ask me if I love you, you know that I love you. And he's somewhat distressed. And Jesus does not answer by saying, ah yeah, I know everything, yeah, I know you love me. He doesn't say that, he says, feed my lambs or feed my sheep. So I think what Jesus is saying is, if you love me, then you will feed my sheep. You cannot just look at me and say, Jesus, I love you. Your love for me is to be reflected in how you deal with my people, in your care for my sheep. 
So when Jesus says these three times, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, I don't think necessarily this is a commission or a commandment. Peter is saying to Jesus, I love you, and you know that I love you. And Jesus is saying, well, okay, feed my sheep. In other words, yes, I want you to know, Peter, that you love me. Because you've got this question about, have I forgiven you? And yes, I have. But the more you love me, the more you will realize that you have been forgiven. Therefore, I want you to love me. But you can't love me by just looking at me across a fire or sitting at the edge of a coal fire, looking at my face and saying, Jesus, I love you. Feed my sheep. Your attitude and your care towards my people is your love for me. And yes, I want you to love me. Not because I just want it. I want you to love me because I want you to realize how much I have forgiven you, which is your big worrying question. Now it's John who records all this. And John got it. Because throughout his letters, he emphasizes this point, that you cannot say you love God without loving the children of God. And so, out of church Christianity, going away into a, some sort of isolation spiritually, not engaging anymore with the sheep of Jesus, whoever they are, but they are of course there in this world, uh, not engaging with his sheep, this is not loving him. We cannot say, I love him, I love reading the Bible, reading his word, sitting in front of a computer, turning pages in a book called the Bible, and yet not be engaged with caring for the Lord's lambs and the Lord's sheep. Because the Father and the Son are both identified with their people. Our attitude to the brotherhood, to their sheep, to their children, to their lambs, our attitude to them is our, is our attitude to God and to Jesus. Now, I cannot emphasize this more strongly. This is why if we push them away, I will not fellowship with you. I don't want to mix with you. This is, in a sense, our attitude to, to the, the Father and his Son. Now, this is serious, because for all of us, there, there are situations where we feel that about people. And, the way some theologies of, of fellowship have been worked out, one ends up, supposedly, having to say this to the vast majority of the body of Jesus, to tell the majority of his lambs or his sheep, get away from me, I will not break bread with you, I will not fellowship with you. This cannot be right. In fact, this is seriously wrong, because our attitude to them is our attitude to the Lord Jesus. Now just one last point on verse 15. Jesus says to him, Simon Peter, uh, Simon son of Jonas, do you love me more than these? And it's your question, well, these, what's he talking about? Grammatically, that is ambiguous. Now the reference could be to the nets and to the pile of fish that were there, 153 fish. And Jesus could be saying to Peter, look, <clears throat> I know you really love your career. You're really a proud fisherman. Uh, you're a good fisherman, and this has been your life. You grew up with it, it's in your blood. But do you love me more than your career? And uh, that, I think, was something that Peter needed to hear, and it's something that we need to be challenged with as well. 
Or it could be that Jesus said that with a nod, do you love me more than these, to the other guys that were sitting around the fire there, to his brethren. Because, of course, Peter had said, although they should all deny you, I will not deny you. And Jesus was picking that up, maybe, by saying, well, love me, serve me, feed my sheep, but do you love me? more than these other ones here? These other brethren? Do you think you're really better than them? Now, there's a purposeful ambiguity, as I say, as to who this these is referring to, and there are purposeful ambiguities in some parts of God's Word. Now, I'm not talking about the basic teachings of doctrines of the Gospel. No. The truth is truth, and, and without it, we, we would not... Uh, have any structure or framework for, for the hope and, and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus that we have. But in many other ways where God and Jesus are interacting with us, there are purposeful ambiguities. Not every sentence is intended to have a final right interpretation. For example, the these here. I mean, is it the pile of fish? Or is it Peter's other brethren? Well, you never know. We will never be able to say for sure that there is one final right interpretation which stands for all time on that, on that phrase. But the ambiguities are there to provoke our self-examination. And I invite you, as you read Scripture, to, uh, to pick up some of those ambiguities and, and to let them have their intended uh, end with you, which is to provoke self-examination and reflection. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke finish, it seems, quite uh, as we would expect, that the Lord Jesus resurrects, he talks to the disciples, and then he ascends to heaven, gives them the Great Commission, uh, and ascends to heaven. John 21 appears to have a strange ending. <coughs> but actually, the more you look at it, I think the more you see that actually not. Um, that it's sort of in keeping with the rest of the Gospel. Because throughout the Gospels, including John, including the other three, the idea of following Jesus is usually connected with the crucifixion. And Jesus says, in verse 18, to, to Peter, when you were young, you girded yourself and walked where you wanted, and when you, you're old, you shall, you shall stretch with your hands, and another shall gird you and carry you with a you would not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. So he's telling Peter, Look, you're going to die for me, but get on and do it now. Pick up your cross and follow after me now. You might remember when Jesus talked about uh, going up to die at Jerusalem, and Peter had said, No, 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 don't do that. Jesus said to him, Get behind me, follow me, Satan. In other words, I am going up there to die, and you, Peter, are to follow me. And don't try and put me off, and don't try to uh, get away around the reality that I'm calling you to follow me to die on a cross. To follow me, as it were, in a criminal's last walk to, to the place of crucifixion. So then... John's Gospel finishes with Jesus walking and Peter following behind him, having been told, follow me unto the bitter end, to death, 
share my cross. So there's uh, verse 19, there's Jesus walking and then Peter is following him. But Peter turns about and sees the disciple whom Jesus loved also following. This is John. So behind Peter there is John. And he takes his eyes off Jesus just like he did that night on the lake when he saw that the wind was boisterous because he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the the waves or he looked back at the ship and, and saw the uh, maybe the, the remains of the sail blowing in the wind he saw that the wind was, was boisterous and he does the same here he's following Jesus, yes I must die on the cross yes I will give everything I love you, you know that I love you yes I'm all gung ho, I'm all set to give my life for you but he turns about, just as he did in Matthew 16 where he he, he's told to, to get behind Jesus and, and yet he gets distracted and he sees John following him also following Jesus who also, verse 20, leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrays you? In other words, Peter, I think, was jealous about that and he turns around and sees that John, who had the special place at the Last Supper, is following as well. And Jesus seeing him says to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, and what shall this man do? And Jesus says, so what? If I will, but he tarry till I come. What is that to you? Follow me. So I think Jesus is saying, okay, I've told you, Peter, that you are to die. You are to follow me to death. A vile death, a painful death. But if John, who is also following me, if he doesn't have to suffer in that way, in fact, if he never has to see death, if he's going to just keep on living until my second coming, so what? What's that to you? You are to follow me. And this is so typical. This is so typical of us that we are asked to follow the Lord, but we get distracted by, Lord, and what about this one? It's not fair. It seems that I'm suffering less than him. That's not ultimately in the final analysis of our lives. I think we will see that that is not the case, that some of us suffered more than others, that some had an easier ride to God's kingdom than others. I, I don't think it can be like that, but I know it, it does uh, humanly could appear like that in, in this life. And so <clears throat> Peter is caught up by that question, and Jesus says, So what? You allow my magnetism to keep holding you, Peter. Follow me. And so the story ends, the gospel ends, with Jesus walking off and walking off the scene, as it were, with his disciples following him. With Peter having to fight against the temptation to get distracted from following Jesus by worrying about the other guy. By wondering about the fairness of God, of Jesus, by thinking about how it's not fair that he might even not have to die at all. But I have to die a death on the cross. And that is really how the, the gospel ends. That we individually and personally, in a, on a very intense level, are to follow the Lord. This Lord who knows us, who understands us, who, as with Peter, foresaw and foresees 
our questions. Has he really forgiven me? We who, like them, have not been impacted as we should by the wonderful reality of the, the risen Lord. As I said, this is now, as John points out, this is now the third time that Jesus has revealed himself after his resurrection to them. Verse 14. So then, that sensitivity of Jesus is what he's showing with you today and with me. It's not that he was, for 33 years on this earth, interacted with a few people in, in Palestine and then kind of shut off to heaven and is now involved with something else and uh, when the date comes around on the calendar he's going to come back. Not at all. Not at all. He is an active Lord. We are everything to him. We are what Paul later calls the all things to him. We are all things to him. We're everything. We're his everything. And so just as he worked so thoughtfully and patiently in the life of Peter, so he is working in your life. Now, while presumably you have John 21 open, you might just like to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Luke says, the former treatise, the former gospel that he's written to Theophilus, that's the gospel of Luke, uh, the former treatise I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began, both to do and teach, and you could put a, a line underneath that word began. The whole gospel records were only the beginning of what Jesus began to do and to teach. Now if you look at the total number of people with whom Jesus interacted during his life, it was not that great. It was really not that huge. Uh, but, I guess most of it was really just in, in the last three and a half years, but that active Jesus is going on, <clears throat> actively working with his people, with his church, with his ecclesia, right today. <clears throat> and you, you get the record of that in Acts of the Apostles, but of course at the end of Acts it also doesn't finish there. This active Lord is continuing to work in this way. And as he worked with, Jesus, with Peter, so he is working with you and me. And we should learn from that that we also, if we love him, will believe in his forgiveness. And that involves us in self-examination and in recognition of our sins and our need for his forgiveness. And it will also result in us asking ourselves the question, really, well, do I love him? The answer to that is, well, feed my sheep. The life of care, and I mean a life of care, for the sheep and the lambs of the Lord Jesus. This is loving him. Thank you.